Well, welcome back again to the Cordell and Cordell uh, webcast podcast on the continuing series dealing with all issues related to COVID-19, how it affects men facing divorce, considering it, and even post-divorce issues and modification. Uh, it's one of those issues, uh, kind of lifetime issues, where we find an event that, uh, like nothing other, that affects all issues related to divorce. And it's so unusual for us to, to be in that situation where uh, we find something like this pandemic where we can talk uh, for days uh, about particular uh, issues relating to divorce and issues post-divorce where it's being affected now. And especially now with uh, today's uh, announcement that we now have another almost five and a half million unemployed, we're at 20 million or, or at least over 21 million actually unemployed, which means that we have all kinds of issues dealing with uh, asset valuation, support payments, whether or not they can afford it. Uh, and so uh, today we wanted to just talk a little bit in general about a few topics that really are relevant, um, you know, about stimulus checks, uh, what to do with them. There's so many questions, you know, how to get them, who gets them, uh, and its effect when people are either separated, considering separating. Um, and so keep in mind though, before we get started, that uh, I cannot give you legal advice. Uh, and my guest cannot either. I'm licensed in Missouri, Illinois, and Georgia, and my guest is only licensed in Georgia. So keep in mind that this is really uh, just from talking points. We want to just discuss the conversation because each of you have a specific set of facts and circumstances which would likely change the discussion and likely change um, our recommendations and, and the direction we're you know talking about today. So as always, I remind you to keep that in mind. Tune into our webinar. I'm going to remind you that as well. Each week on Thursday, we have a live national webinar actually broadcast throughout the United States. Then we're going to do a United Kingdom webinar for our office in London uh, and also take a look at that. But you can continue to check out our podcast series at CordellCordell.com and mensdivorce.com and on our YouTube channel. So let's get right into it uh, with our guest from uh, the Atlanta, Georgia area, Kevin Mamola. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Scott. Good to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, you know, yesterday, or April 15th came and went, and, uh, you know, tax the old tax day, but even though it was extended, but the, the really hot topic out among guys is this, you know, uh, economic impact payment, the EIP or stimulus check. And what happens to who gets it? Uh, there's so many questions. I have a bunch. And uh, so let me just ask you about this. Let's start with this. If parties are separated, you know, guys are calling in saying, well, uh, we filed in 20, you know, our 2018 taxes, uh, we were together. I'm separated. Now, where does that, that check go? What happens to it? Is it a marital asset? And then we'll get into the kids portion. Maybe you can just talk generally about the stimulus check and what guys should be expecting right now. Sure. So basically, if you've filed your taxes jointly in 2018, it is our understanding that obviously the check is going to be based on that filing. It's also my understanding that if you filed your taxes already in 2019, not everybody has, but it would be based on that filing. But if you were married and filed jointly that year, uh, then the check would be a marital asset as long as you're married. And if you're still married, it would be considered a marital asset, even if you're going through a divorce. So I think one of the ways that it's going to come up is in pending divorces. Um, and more specifically, I think it would come up in a case where either the parties are in the same house or perhaps separated and living separate households. So let me just touch on if they're living in separate households, the check is gonna probably go to the account where it was direct deposited a year or two ago, 
or maybe it'll come in, in the mail, uh, but it would be addressed or, or written out to both parties. So the question is, you know, who's entitled to those funds? Well, it's just like any other asset in a divorce. It's uh, an asset that is subject to equitable division. Now, that may be, those may be funds that both parties need, um, you know, depending on what is going on in the household, who is obligated to pay what, arguments can certainly be made that one party needs those funds over the other. So for example, if um, you know, one party has already moved out of the home and there's a divorce pending and maybe they're having to support two households or the vast majority of expenses for two households, the check that they receive or that the parties receive could certainly be a big benefit to help bridge the gap with expenses where they maybe they're running credit card debt right now. Maybe they're overdoing or doing it like oftentimes people do in a divorce. So the argument could be made that that person should receive a greater portion of the check. Um, you know, whether or not that is something the judge would do or the other party would agree to certainly is open for discussion and debate. Mm -hmm. um, in my experience, I think what's going to happen, and I'm, I'm starting to see it happening because you know, some parties I think received it this week and I've had some discussions with some clients. Um, so there's you know, arguments going back and forth on both sides, but, but if you need immediate access to the funds, uh, it's probably better to try and reach an agreement with um, your, your spouse or the other spouse's attorney um, to get an immediate division of those funds, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that you know, may be. You raise a good point. You know, we can liken this, or at least I'm likening it to, uh, we have guys that come in to me and, I, and kind of get your opinion, Kevin, where they say, okay, what do I do with the checking account? You know, then I say, well, you can do a number of things. You can leave it and potentially she goes and takes it all if you file or separate. Uh, you can take half and put it in a checking account in your name, or you can take it all. Um, uh, really, in that the last one tends to be uh, the choice that many of the clients that I meet with take because they're responsible for the bills. They may have a spouse who's not working. And the thought is, is that they need the entire amount of funds as long as they you know, properly account for it uh, to take it. So in this stimulus check, I was thinking about this uh, overnight. There is a website, irs.gov uh, backslash or get my payment. And I'm wondering whether or not, you know, if there's a guy out there who's listening and he's thinking, well, I'm paying all the bills right now and I'm separated and that the checking account to which it's was going to go to is either hurt or a joint checking account, let's just say, you know, it's a race to the money. So yeah. the question being, you know, did they log in? Do they consider um, entering their direct deposit details, changing it before it gets there? I mean, obviously it's a conversation they should have with their attorney, but I mean, I, I, I kind of liken it to that checking account thing. And, you know, they have to make that decision at some point, whether or not, uh, you know, if they're responsible for all the bills and she's not earning any money, you got to make a tough decision. I think that's a great analysis, actually. That's probably uh, spot on with, with putting it to a checking account. Um, and I think that uh, sometimes that is the best approach. And with the amount of funds that they would be taking, um, you know, if they were to go ahead and take all those funds and, and apply them towards household resources or family resources, you know, maybe they're concerned, well, would I be penalized, you know, by the court at a later date? Um, you know, obviously can't speak to every county, state and judge, but I think because of the amount of funds is not astronomical, it's just meant to bridge the gap with household expenses. I think the likelihood of them being penalized is somewhat low. Um, 
in a, in a pending divorce. Now, if it was, you know, a, a much higher amount, that could be something else for discussion. But, yeah. um, you know, certainly that's that's a good analysis, though, an analogy with respect to the checking accounts. I think that's pretty much the same options you have. Yeah, I, I did have to believe, and obviously we always tell clients, look, if you're going to make those decisions and you're going to take all this money, let's just make sure we're accounting for it every day, nickel, every dime, and let's not waste it on frivolous spending. It's marital asset, marital debt, uh, pay the normal household expenses. But it, it really you know, raises the question of the complication where we have a divorce and guys are asking now, uh, I'm entitled to the deduction for my kids in 2019 tax year. And obviously there's a stimulus uh, bonus for another $500 per child. Yeah. Um, my wife or my ex-wife won't cooperate and give me the IRS form so I can take the deduction. I haven't filed for 2019. What can I do? Am I going to have to go to court uh, to get lawyers involved to get that money because it technically is mine for the tax year 2019? What do I do? Do you, you know, what do you think? That's a good question. Um, hadn't had that one come up, but one option that I would probably uh, discuss with the potential client would be if, if you are legally entitled to that deduction, if you're legally entitled to, to that money and your ex is refusing to cooperate, uh, then if she's in contempt of court, obviously you mm -hmm. can consider filing a motion for contempt. Um, another alternative would be, and it's not always the best uh, option, but if you are obligated to pay her anything else, you know, you could consider reducing it proportionally proportionately to the amount that you would receive um, had you had your ex cooperated with you. Yeah. Now, sometimes the courts don't favor that, but you know, that's ultimately an equitable um, consideration. I think that may be the possibly the best uh, route to take in, in certain circumstances. For some dads out there, the coronavirus pandemic has become a pretext to limit access to their children. Other dads have been pushed out of key decisions affecting their children's lives. If you're one of those dads, Cordell & Cordell is here for you, as always, but with expanded services. We can meet you in person or by video conference on weekdays, evenings, or weekends. Our goal is to step up our service to meet your needs now. We're all in new territory here when it relates to this stuff. And, you know, the denial of the, the IRS form is nothing new, but when it's keyed to additional money and, and it's not just, it's money now. Um, uh, what about temporary orders? You know, we can talk a little bit in a moment of whether, you know, about the accessibility of the Georgia courts, but do you foresee this as the potential where you could use, if we have a, a pending divorce already, um, where... A guy who's listening who's not getting that money could potentially file a temporary order or request to say, look, I need access to the money. I've got the check, but she won't let me cash it or I've got the funds. She won't let me have access to it. Is that, is that really a good reason to request of the court uh, on a temporary motion to get those access? Yeah, well, I think it would be. And that depends. You know, you may want to have that discussion to the potential client may want to have that discussion with uh, his attorney mm -hmm. as to whether or not that be a good use you know, of, of their financial resources to do so. But um, yes, I mean, that would be a good avenue to address it. Now, one thing to consider would be maybe you have a temporary hearing uh, coming up in a couple of weeks or a few weeks. So the timing is also important where if you can hold on to the funds, you, just maybe in a separate account or the check, just put it aside, make sure you don't touch it. 
you could address it with the court at that time. I mean, that, that's yeah. something that you hold on to for a couple of weeks. And, you know, maybe you have a temporary hearing scheduled for any number of other issues that are relevant in, in, in a divorce, in a pending divorce in any state. Uh, that would probably be something that the judge certainly could address because the intention of, although it is characterized, I, I believe, as a marital asset, I think it would be, um, subject to equitable division, the intent of the check is to bridge the gap for household family expenses. So it's not a, a big asset to just divide. It's something to be used towards specific resources for the family. So I think the right. judge in a temporary hearing would address that. Yeah, good point. You know, now we talk about the temporary orders. You know, let's talk about how things are going in Georgia. You know, COVID-19, are the courts open, accessible? Is it uh, e-filing available? Let's kind of just give them a, a lay of the land in Georgia for perhaps guys listening right now that are in the area. Sure. So the courts in Georgia are technically open. So uh, they, most people would probably would assume that they're closed and there are emergency, emergency judicial closures across the states. However, they are, um, in the context of family law and domestic relations, they are having certain hearings. Some counties are holding protective order hearings. Um, that would pretty much be the only cases absent uh, an emergency situation. So the thing that I think parties that are looking to divorce in Georgia or utilize the family court system for uh, modifications or contempt of court need to understand is that getting a hearing immediately may be a little bit difficult, but initiating a case is certainly not an issue in Georgia. So uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, all of the, uh, well, the Georgia legislature required that all counties in Georgia um, must do e-filing. So everything has to be e-filed. So really your attorney can file your petition of any nature from any location in the world, I suppose, as long as you have an internet connection and access to the database in Georgia. So we can initiate the case um, now and they are open administratively so the clerk's office is accepting and reviewing petitions for divorce petitions for modification and they are actually uh, in my experience over the past few weeks approving those uh, filings much quicker than they did in the past it, uh, it appears to me at least that they have um, a little bit more time to to devote to only to those matters so mm -hmm. processes are actually um, happening a little bit faster so if someone wants to file for divorce and let's say maybe they reached an agreement with their spouse. They're sitting there, you know, in quarantine and they hashed out the divorce agreement. Uh, you could actually file your petition, go through the statutory waiting period in Georgia, which is just 30 days, and then submit the uh, final decree of divorce to the judge. And the judge is still signing orders. That's another thing that parties need to understand, I think, is that although the courts are closed for certain types of hearings uh, or the vast, very vast majority of hearings, uh, they are still processing orders, reviewing agreements, uh, parenting plans, and approving them. Um, and, and that is something that you can still utilize. Uh, you can go you know, file your case, go through the system, uh, irrespective of the COVID-19 emergency, and um, utilize the courts just like we did any other day in Georgia. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was reading another article this morning, uh, just trying to stay up to date on the latest. And, and I heard a, a phrase years and years ago uh, and someone said words matter and the, you know all i hear is courts are closed courts are closed courts are closed and so guys takeaway is well i can do nothing so we have to be really careful using that word words do matter and when we use the word closed um, we may mean the physical uh, building is closed but for all intents and purposes the administrative operations are still open just like we are 
and they are an essential function of the, uh, the workforce and the economy, and they are open, um, with the exception of some pockets. I know that uh, I was talking to one of our attorneys in uh, New York, and uh, they are not even accepting or at one point. They've started to ease that. Um, there's just small pockets where they truly are. The word closed means closed. So I think you make a good point here is that guys shouldn't um, mistake or, or, or the word closed to mean they can't do anything. They need to do something. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute because I'm, I'm always interested in the child support aspect. But are the uh, Georgia courts uh, holding Zoom conferences, you know, hearings at all, the, utilizing the technology that we have available to kind of keep the, the process moving if we need it? Yes, they are. Um, they are utilizing Zoom um, and I think phone in, in some instances, mm -hmm. but a couple of counties, uh, and I think more will expand it depending on the length of the judicial emergency and perhaps maybe they'll just utilize it in the future due to um, the, the ease of, of how it works. So um, a couple of the counties have been holding status conferences and pretrial hearings via Zoom and it's really worked out uh, perfectly. A few of our attorneys in our office have had emergency hearings via Zoom. Uh, currently, I have a scheduled final hearing in early May that will be via Zoom. So mm -hmm. something that we're learning as we go, but I've learned really, and, and the judges that have you know, at least been utilizing Zoom um, have told me, because they did schedule one for me recently and told me everything's been going great. Um, yeah. Had no problems with the technology, uh, you know, emailing your exhibits in advance. So things are moving and that's great. Uh, and not everybody, not everybody probably knows that, but um, that, that is something that the courts, uh, a couple of the courts were really you know, pioneering that from the get-go, letting us know a week in or less to the judicial emergency that uh, they were gonna be conducting everything via Zoom. And that was actually the first time I learned about Zoom, but it's been great and it's, it's worked out yep. well. And it doesn't have to be Zoom, it could be phone, it could be anything else, but as long as the technology is there, uh, we are able to proceed uh, with our cases and our hearings. And some counties aren't, but I think some of them are starting to come around as the emergency continues. Yeah. So we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. So talking just about you know, the ability to e-file, that is the, you know, especially now we have another five and a half million unemployed. I mentioned that in the beginning of this podcast. You know, we have to over 20, probably 1 million unemployed, 50% may be male. Those are our guys. Half of those may be thinking about divorce, already divorced. So, you know, we're looking at five, six million guys who probably can't afford their child support because they've, they've lost their job. They've had a substantial reduction in pay. Uh, in Georgia, is there something that they should be considering about filing now if they're facing uh, a substantial decrease in pay, meaning a job loss, and then no future opportunities right now? Is it important uh, in Georgia when it relates to retroactivity to file now to kind of set that line of demarcation? Yes, uh, absolutely. Good point. Glad you brought that up. So in Georgia, if you have lost your job or you have um, incurred a loss of income equal to or greater than 25%, uh, you are entitled to an adjustment of child support arrears. And mm -hmm. although the courts or the, the, the statute doesn't call it retroactive modification, and you can pretty much uh, refer to it as that. And I think there's probably a handful of other states or many other states that do have similar provisions. And the key, at least in Georgia, is to go ahead and file because how the law works is it would only be retroactive. Uh, so your child support would be modified from what it was pursuant to the divorce decree or previous order. Um, to the new amount, and it could be retroactive to the date of filing. Mm. So if someone recently lost their job or their hours were cut, 
or they had to take a furlough um, for unknown period of time, they should definitely consider filing a modification on child support, especially if you lost your job and you can utilize the e-filing system in Georgia to go ahead and do that. Um, we also, the process servers are still working, the sheriff's deputies are still serving papers. So that process can start. So you could file your petition, get the process started. And even if you're in a county where they aren't doing Zoom hearings or Zoom status conferences, uh, you can be rest assured that you'll have a hearing at some point, it just may be months down the road. But if you utilized um, you know, the system now and went ahead and filed for the modification, got the other party served, and let's say you know, today is in April and, and you don't have your hearing for another six months and it's October and you're going into November uh, and the emergency, the COVID-19 emergency hopefully is either away or substantially reduced from what it is now, you would have a retroactive modification of your child support obligation to the date of filing. So that would be six. Otherwise, if you don't do that and you wait three or four months, your child support arrears will accrue and, and accumulate and that will never go away regardless yeah. of the circumstances, at least in Georgia, that's how that would work. Such a key point for many guys out there to understand the importance of acting now, because many say, well, you know, I can't afford to file. Well, you can't afford not to file. Mm -hmm. Is that right? The, the child support continues to accrue. It's, it's an insurmountable debt uh, that uh, you, you're just going to be faced with at some point. So, uh, you know, the, the moral of the story is consult with a lawyer. Um, make sure that you touch base with them, get the facts, get the law, understand what the strategy should be. The courts aren't closed, closed, closed. They're open you know, to e-filing, especially in Georgia and many pockets around the country. As uh, I talk to people like you, Kevin, and at Cordell & Cordell, uh, you know, we can help. And so today, thanks, Kevin, as always. Great stuff. Appreciate all of the information. And uh, guys, I know uh, got a good takeaway today. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. So uh, as we wrap up this segment of the uh, Men's Divorce uh, Podcast webcast and brought to you by Cordell & Cordell, again, I remind you to continue to tune in. We'll continue to bring you some of the best attorneys from around the country and the world uh, at Cordell & Cordell, just bringing you some uh, good topics and discussion points regarding some of the things that guys are facing. Again, we try to answer the three questions, what can I do, what should I do, and what must I do in all of these episodes, and we hope that we've been helpful to you. Reach out to us. We're open for virtual and telephonic conversations and initial consultations at 866-DADS-LAW, or you can look at us online at CordellCordell.com. Again, 866-DADS-LAW, CordellCordell.com. Again, thank you for joining. You know, today is a new day, one day closer to being to normal again. Until next time. <music>